Hey everybody, welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey cast. We're here to talk about some fun times, but before we get there, I'm DJ Gagnon, here with my co-host Mark Rossetti. How you doing, Mark? <laughs> I was waiting for you to make like a really sad announcement that I didn't know about. <laughs> We're here to talk about some fun times, but before we do that... <laughs> before we do that, I'll introduce my crotchety old co-host. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, I'm in a pretty good mood. I mean, we're going to talk about the bullshit gimmick that somebody slipped into my whiskey bottle today. But uh, <laughs> other than that, um, you know, I'm okay. So if you're looking for, you know, some doom and gloom, I don't have any right now. So there, there's that. Uh, although, you know, hey, there's that Russian robot breaking kids' fingers. We got that going for us. So, What about a Russian robot? Oh, see, you might want to talk about this with uh, with Brian. Basically, the Russians uh, are testing a new uh, chess robot. Like, you know, a new chess supercomputer in robot form. <laughs> and they discovered that the anti-cheat that the robot has is that it literally grabs your hand and breaks one of your fingers at the knuckle. <laughs> and there's video of this happening to like a 10 year old kid. What did it think the kid was cheating? Uh, he apparently tried to move two pieces at once or he moved too fast or too slow. Cause you know, chess has time. There's a clock and the robot said no. <laughs> and Just broke his fucking fingers. Well, one of them anyway, so. That's awful. Uh, so, you know, hey, the, uh, what do you call it? The Skynet overlords, they're coming. Uh, so, there you go. <laughs> Don't cheat at chess kids or a robot will break your fucking fingers. Yeah, the robot's going to come. So, hey, you'll have this. So, uh, is that just how your week's been or was that just today? No, I mean, my week overall was kind of fine. It was uh, hot, like we were talking about last week, but that's an observation. That's not a complaint. Uh, I had a senior moment, though, this week. I, I, I oh. just, you know, got really forgetful. We, uh, I convinced myself that I had a tour coming into the museum, a school tour, summer school tour. And uh, I was like, oh, got to get to work early. You know, I normally don't start till 10 o'clock. I got to get there at, you know, at least nine to be ready and be open. So I got up early, showered early, out the door, boom, 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 boom. I get there and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. There's no tour. What the hell? Check my phone, no messages. Still waiting, no tour. 15 minutes late. I'm getting a little annoyed. So I'm about to email the teacher and be like, where the hell are you? And then I look at the last email. It's this coming week. <laughs> I was an entire week early and I don't know why. Nice. Nice, buddy. So, you know, hey, we'll we'll have that this week. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it was a pretty quiet week. Can't really complain. What about you? I feel like it's just it just keeps being more and more baby stuff and it's accelerating in a weird kind of scary way. Like not horribly scary in like a negative way, but in like a holy crap. There's only like less than 60 days before our due date. Is it kind of like uh, this? This is too hard. <laughs> uh, how do I do this? Is that kind of what you're feeling like? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Have you been saving that one? No, that's the upset button. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I 
the the nursery is done and the office is done. Um, so now it's just kind of like cleaning out the house. And uh, like I felt really accomplished, like getting all of my tools organized this weekend. And then I looked at the three giant contractor bags I had filled with trash from what the old uh, owner had left behind. And I'm like, God damn it. Now I need to haul this upstairs. Yeah. I, I don't go. know that I've ever told this story in the podcast, but when we bought our house, uh, the, the it was back in 2017, and the owner, uh, his wife had already moved uh, down to like North Carolina or something, and he was following her but wrapping up the house. So he was just cleaning out the house himself. And he was like, hey, could I get another week uh, to like clean out the house? And we were like, mm, no, sorry, our lease is up. We only have like a week to move. And he's like, cool. Are you good with me just leaving some stuff that we don't need anymore instead of cleaning it out? And we're like, yeah, that's fine. Just, you know, GTFO. And like he just had the weirdest shit that he left behind. Um, <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing, I think I have a, photo of it somewhere we got rid of it but it was like i i don't know what it would be for i assume dairy based on what it is but it was like a drug with a pore spout but it was in the shape of a boob hey there you go and it was just in the basement just sitting there on a shelf with completely other normal things <laughs> i don't know why it was there um, Sometimes you want to, you know, do a round from a boob jug. I, you know, I guess I've never had that inclination, but you know, I guess whatever boats your float. Um, but like he just left all of his like junky tool shit, like not like tools. Well, some tools, and they they got thrown out, but like just. Buckets of rusty bolts. Is that just the thing that people have? Just buckets of rusty bolts lying around? Well, I mean, the gimmick is they're not rusty originally, but you know, you never throw a bolt away because one day somewhere down the line, you're going to need a weird ass five eighths fine thread. And I have one somewhere in this jug. I just have to pull it out. Yeah. I, um, I threw out a lot of rusty bolts this weekend. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, whatever it is, if it can't be repaired with something that I already have, it just gets thrown out. I'll buy a new thing. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's kind of my week so far. What you drinking, buddy? I am drinking something new for me. Uh, I like it. You will hate it if you've ever had it or if you ever go to have it in the future. I am drinking Buchanan's Deluxe 12-Year Blended Scotch Whiskey. Mm. And it's uh, very good once you get it out of the bottle. <laughs> I was a few minutes late recording this because uh, there's actually the cap itself is this big, ornate three-piece cap and there's a big red it's supposed to be look like a wax seal but it's actually like plastic and it snaps together and you have to take that off and then the two pieces of the cap unscrew so it's like a big fucking erector set just to get into the thing and then there's like well you were talking about a boob jug before there's like a nipple on the bottle 
And I'm just looking at it very strangely. And, you know, you press it and it doesn't do anything. It's like solidly molded into the bottle. There's this big plastic insert. It's all one piece. And when you go to pour it, nothing happens. And here, uh, apparently this is a newish thing in the world of particularly scotches. I guess Johnny Walker is getting on this with some of their more higher end and uh, Buchanan's has it and a few other brands have it. I had to actually look it up on my phone. It's called a kickstart bottle. Mm. So you literally have to hold it completely upside down with a cap off. And then three to seven seconds later, this thing will start to dribble a little bit of your scotch out. And one website compared it to, quote, an old man attempting to pee in the middle of the night. (laughs) And that's a good way of putting it. It took a long time to pour two fingers of this shit, let me tell you. So uh, fuck you if you invented that. Fuck you if you like that. That's a terrible fucking idea. I don't understand the point. I paid damn good money for this bottle. Let me drink it. That being said, once I got it in a glass, it's very good. Uh, it's sort of a weird blend between a Highland and an Islay, which are kind of my two favorites, and I think your two least favorites. Yeah. Uh, so because of that, it starts off pretty smoky, pretty woody, and it finishes pretty damn peaty. <laughs> uh, of course it does. Yes, um, and actually on the back of the bottle brags about their roasted peat. So not only do you get smoke and you get peat, you get smoky peat. Um, And you do sort of get a tingle almost in your nose. Like you get the good whiskey burn, but you do kind of get a little bit in your sinuses too. So um, I really enjoy it. Uh, It's, you know, it's weird. Their website's pretty terrible. It took me a long time to find out it's, Actually, only 80 proof. They kind of have that buried. I guess they don't want to brag too much about that. But that does give it a little bit more of a smoothness, even though you have the uh, the peat and the smoke. You don't have too much of a flaming burn, you know, compared to last week with that 110 proof Maker's Mark I was drinking. Uh, and I don't know. The website, I don't think it's the same person, but they reference a James Buchanan, who I think was just their original brewmaster. I don't think it was our shitty-ass American president that actually was from Pennsylvania. Uh, But I can't tell you anymore because their website's really, really, really bad. It's just like, hey, buy a bottle. Oh, and here's all these cocktails. Now, this is actually really good straight. I'm drinking it just on my whiskey stones. But, you know, just FYI, guys, it's really not a good sign when you have a scotch and, like, the bulk of your website is, here's what to mix it with. No, that's a red flag. Yeah. I I sometimes like to look up the whiskey you're drinking so I can take a look at the bottle because bottles are interesting. And I also like to spell them correctly. Uh, And I did find this lovely review for your whiskey on Drizzly. The best drink I've ever tasted. I really like it when I party with your friends. Stop it while I recommend them. But okay, so you're looking at the bottle. You see, like, the big red thing on top? (laughs) I do. That's all the cap. That is three separate pieces. The bottom part's one piece, the seal's another piece, and then the top is another piece. Fucking erector set getting into this goddamn thing. Seems like Buchanan's is trying too hard. 
Yeah, basically. You know, we were talking about don't pay for the tube a couple of weeks ago. Don't pay for complicated caps. Mm-hmm. Jesus, just give us the whiskey in a bottle. Seriously. But overall, it is good. Once you get in it, you know, so bring, you know, we're talking about tools before. Uh, bring your Sawzall, bring your panel cutter, bring your torch. And then once you get into this bottle and once it finally decides to dribble out a little bit of the liquor it wants to give you, uh, it's pretty good. So I, I do recommend it. Just pack a fucking lunch trying to get into the bottle. Mm-hmm. What about you? What are you drinking? Well, I I contemplated a couple of different things tonight. Um, Tamworth Distillery reared its head again. And Mark, I really think we need to go there <laughs> together. It's starting to sound like the children of the corn of our world. <laughs> You just want beaver ass whiskey. That's all it is. I, just I don't blame really you. Really want to go to this place and just shake somebody's hand. So you I'm, sir are a god. <laughs> I'm saving something for for next week to review. But uh, it was topping out to where this uh, cider would not be as good uh, as when I got I got it bottled. So I wanted to review this before it was um, maybe not as good as it could have been. So I got. Uh, at a local farm in Farmington near me, about probably 20 minutes away, um, there is a fruit farm called Butternut Farm, and they do a lot of, like, pick-your-own type things throughout the year. Like, you know, pick your own berries, pick your own apples, pick your own, you know, whatever you can think of. They've even got, like, cherry trees and all sorts of crazy stuff. So we went a few weeks ago, and we picked strawberries with a a friend of ours, uh, who's in town, and they have a cider house on uh, on their the premise, and I I honestly don't know if cider hard cider as a is as big of a deal outside of like New England. Is it a thing that it's, it's Pennsylvania thing gets super we, into? I don't know. I would I would say super into, but we have a few. Or local orchards that do it. Um, most of the places around here carry like your big ones, like your angry orchards, your strong bows, you know, things like that. Uh, I like hard cider. I mean, I usually like the drier stuff. I like a good strong bow. There was, oh, I cannot remember the name of it, but there was a orchard maybe an hour away. They came to a craft festival that Annie and I went to. And I picked up a, a bottle of theirs, which I really liked. The problem was it was a big bottle. It was like a 750 or whatever. And there was no way to reseal it. Hmm. So it was like, oh, here you go. Got to finish this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I See, Farmington is like maybe five, ten minutes from Dover. And Dover has an apple harvest festival every year. So like... Apples are a big deal near me. D- Dover was my hometown. So, um, I mean, there are a, a dozen apple orchards within 30 minutes of me where you can go pick your own apples in the fall. So apples are a big deal. And uh, so I went to the cider house. It was the like the first time, I think it was the first weekend they were open. Um, and they had an old-fashioned hard cider. And I'm really excited for this. Uh, so I kind of jotted down a few notes. They did um, do some... Uh, some th- there's some orange peels that were in with the fermentation, I believe. Uh, and then it was aged in oak barrels. 
So it does kind of taste a little bit like an old fashioned, which is kind of bonkers. Yeah. Uh, And and this is one of the best cider houses uh, around here. Um, The cool thing about these ciders is that they're all pretty fucking boozy. Like uh, their standard entry is six and a half percent ABV. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, for a cider, that's pretty crazy. Uh, no, that's, got, that's not bad. That'll punch you in the face. Yeah. Uh, it sneaks up on you. They have one that they age in tequila ba- barrels. That's 7% ABV. Uh, they've got one, I think that comes late, later in the season. That's an 8%. Uh, so this old fashioned mix, uh, because they grow all their own apples, they can kind of do these crazy blends. So the old fashioned is, uh, a blend of golden delicious Jonah gold, gold rush gala and Franklin apples. Uh, and they, you know, do the fermentation with some extra stuff. They age it in, um, in oak barrels. Uh, and I think they might, I think they might be old whiskey barrels potentially. Uh, the, the description's fallen off their site because this was a limited run, uh, they usually only do this pretty early in the season, so uh, I don't think they're going to have it the rest of the summer. <laughs> or I would, you know, grab a bottle and save it for you, buddy. But well, I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, it is pretty tasty stuff. I'm generally not one for f- ferments. I tend to like distillates instead. But um, you know, I'll, I'll fuck with a good hard cider on a nice hot day. No, hard ciders are good. Um, I found that they're actually a lot of fun when, you know, like you're talking about hot day outside, you're barbecuing, you've got something on the TV. I want a crisp apple, you know, and it kind of works. Nice. Yeah, I agree. But no, we, we definitely encourage our listeners. If you if you haven't branched out of the hard ciders, give them a try. They're pretty good. It's another acquired taste. It, it is, yeah. It is. I would say I feel like I don't know. I don't know a lot of. Um, I. I feel like hard ciders aren't as big of a thing down south. Probably not. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, Angry Orchard is is a pretty big brand around here. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of that you can get off the shelf, but. I feel like it's definitely like a Northeast and a Northwest sort of deal where like the climate's right for orchards and you can get a lot of that stuff. But like kind of like how we're really into nano breweries up here. We're also into, into uh, hard ciders. I saw a headline on this one. Uh, they're a data and analytics website that I study, but they don't just do sports. They do politics too. Mm. And they try to predict trends and do polling and things. And there was a headline, and it just said, New Hampshire is really small and weird. <laughs> <laughs> and they're basically talking about how hard it is to poll New Hampshire. But that was just a headline. New Hampshire is really small and weird. That's so amazing. there you go. So what do we got for whiskey news? Well, speaking of small and weird, <laughs> we're going to talk about the... Well, I guess still, everybody's darling, you know, Goofy started off as a small distillery, and now they've come big. Everybody's favorite underdog story. 
we talked about them not long after they started, which it's hard to believe, but because, you know, it seems like so long ago with the pandemic, but they just started in 2019, just before the pandemic dropped. Uh, and we reviewed their one and only product here on the show. We're going to talk about Screwball. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've been listening to the early episodes. Screwball is from the Black Sheep Distillery, which is uh, out west in San Diego. And they only make one thing, and it's peanut butter whiskey. Mm. And everybody and their brother got on this bandwagon because it's not really a liqueur. Uh, it is 70 proof. It is distilled like a whiskey. It's aged like a whiskey. But at the same time, it's not really a whiskey. It tastes like peanut butter. And if you listen to my review, however the hell long ago, when you pour it, it's thick. It's almost like syrupy. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things you could do three or four shots of it, get up, fall the fuck over. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty creative. It's pretty interesting. Uh, they were on a huge boom. It was one of those things that was sold out even before the pandemic. And then when the liquor stores here in Pennsylvania had a run, you just couldn't get it. They have a weird pricing structure for a while. The handles were cheaper than the fifths. Like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but they're in the news again because guess what they're selling now, DJ? They still only sell one project, product, but guess what they're doing with it now? Mm, probably something to make it worse. Yes, technically. Um, they're putting it in cans. With like you can cola? now buy one. Yes, you can now buy 100 millimeter, milliliter, milliliter, 100 milliliter cans of peanut butter whiskey. Whoa. And no, this is not like, you know, the pre-made Jack and Cokes or the pre-made Jim Beam and Jim. This is not a cocktail. This is just 100 milliliters of just peanut butter whiskey in a can. <laughs> and now, again, if you go back to my screwball review, I actually liked it for what it was. I definitely said it's not something you want to drink every day, but it's not bad. And when you put it in a hot chocolate, it's actually pretty damn good. But the way they're advertising this, I want to read you. A quote here from one of their co-founders. Let me find it here again. Uh, here we go. This is from Stephen Yang. He's one of the two co-founders. It's a husband and wife team, the Yangs. We started as a mom-and-pop business in the beach town of San Diego, and this canned format pays homage to our original community of beachgoers looking for a fun way to imbibe. And all the photos, and the, like the, the main photo that went with this press release is a young lady in cut-off shorts and a bikini top taking a can out of her fanny pack on the beach. When it's hot out, I don't want thick peanut butter whiskey. Yeah. Who thought this was a good idea? Agreed. Um, but if it's something you're interested in, the canned format is uh, coming to a place near you. They're starting off uh, a limited release in beach areas, California, te Texas, Delaware, Massachusetts. How did Illinois get in there? Illinois doesn't have any beaches. Uh, New York, Florida, Georgia, and New Jersey. Uh, by the end of the summer, early September, they promise to be in all 50 states. So there you go. Screwball in a can, and they drop this this stat on you, and I'm just going to end whiskey news with this. This will keep you all up at night, folks. Canned spirits, in general, have gone up over the last year. Do you know what the percentage is that they've gone up, DJ? 
No. Sales have increased 123% in the last 12 months. I don't love that. Neither do I. So is this can, is it literally just a can of peanut butter whiskey or is there something else in it? Nope, it's just a can of peanut butter whiskey. (laughs) Why, Screwball? Did you think this was a good idea? No, I mean, in their defense, it's only 100 milliliters. That's probably two to three shots, depending on how generous your pour is. But still, no. There's nothing in me that wants to drink whiskey out of a can. On the beach. (laughs) (laughs) You know, good day like today, like Sunday, this past Sunday as we're recording this, it was 97 degrees here. We had an 80-something degree dew point. It was like 83 degrees was the dew point. So it was 106 in the heat index. And I should have just went outside and laid in the sun and pulled out a can of whiskey. You know, I... I do love peanut butter. So do I. I honestly think unless it's with chocolate, the colder it gets, the less I want it. The colder it gets, really? Yeah, I don't like pe- like peanut butter in my ice cream generally. Oh. Unless it's paired with chocolate. Like if it's like, it, I, I love me a good frozen peanut butter cup, but like... No, I don't like peanut butter ice cream. I don't like peanut butter in my like milkshakes. So like, so like if you if you ever had like a PB and J or like a peanut butter and fluff, did your mom ever put it in the fridge in the morning before you went to school? That was like a no go. No, not really. Well, I mean, by the time you'd eat it, it'd be room temperature, anyways. That's true too. Peanut butter should be room temperature. I mean, generally, I agree with you. That's where I eat it most of the time, but I don't hate cold peanut butter. No, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. (laughs) I think I'm good with these cans, buddy. Well, yeah. Well, hey, Massachusetts is on the short list to get them first, so you're just a hop over the border, buddy. Mm. And what the hell? The Shire has a a beach. You guys have a seaport. Why were you on the list? Why did Illinois make it and New Hampshire didn't? What the hell? We have 12 miles of glorious beaches. See? There you go. What the shit? <laughs> All right. Give us tools of the trade. Oh, I uh, I wanted to talk about jacking it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to be a lot harder for you in a couple weeks. Uh, so, uh, specifically, we're talking about freeze distillation. <laughs> I mean, maybe DJ is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, we are... In the just gross summer months, it is very hot out. I'm not a fan of the heat. I know Mark doesn't care because he's weird like that. Um, But in these hot summer months, I like to tend to think about the things that are coming in the fall. So fall around here, you know, it's why I pulled out the apple cider today. You know, it's apple harvest. it's, It's flannels and hoodies and getting ready for Halloween. And it is getting, you know, it's approaching, you know, what do you do with apple cider after, after it falls done? You got some apple cider left and it's, it's, it's a ferment. It's not gonna, it's not gonna last through, through the winter for you. So traditional New Englanders would freeze it. Uh, And they found that 
uh, they could actually get a rudimentary distillation process going uh, by freezing their cider. And this is called, uh, the, the process is called jacking. Uh, officially, it's called freeze distillation. But come on, we're all teenagers here. We're going to call it jacking. Uh, and this is how uh, the uh, fortified wines can be made this way. Uh, you can jack a beer. I don't. I don't know what a fortified <laughs> beer would be. I guess it would be a kind of a cheap whiskey, wouldn't it? I mean, scientifically, yeah, it'd probably have the same format. Yeah, um, but really, when we think of jacking, the big liquor that that tends to be thought of as Applejack. Yes. Uh, and I actually love Applejack. It's one of my, my favorite, you know, fall winter liquors. Uh, I, uh, I love a good Jack Rose. Ugh, love a Jack Rose. I'll have to review a Jack Rose in the winter. Um, so basically how this works uh, scientifically, uh, with jacking, um, the, the water freezes at, the, at a temperature of 32 degrees Fahrenheit, zero degrees Celsius. Uh, but ethanol freezes at negative 173.4 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's a lot lower. So what you can do is you can freeze apple cider. Now, I don't recommend doing this. Um, there's some reasons behind it. There's some health reasons and there's also, you know, amateur distilling is uh, not widely legal in the United States. So, um, <laughs> you know, disclaimer, 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 we are not recommending you do this. But if you were to do this process, you would end up with Applejack or a fortified wine if you did it with wine. And what really happens is that the ethanol returns to a liquid state uh, or stays in a liquid state before the water will melt. So the ice acts uh, that the melting ice. So what you would do is you would freeze it, and what what this freeze distillation really is, it happens at the time that the water ice is melting. So you bring it to like twenty eight degrees or twenty five degrees and you let the ethanol filter through the melting ice. And you get to a point where you can just toss the ice out, you've got another liquid out, and now you've got a fortified liquid. Uh, and you can keep doing this until nothing freezes anymore, which essentially ends up with, if you, you can get it to a place where it's around 25% ABV, uh, which is really interesting. Like, you know, you're going from something that's four to six percent all the way up to twenty-four to twenty-five percent. If you do it three or four times and make sure that nothing else freezes in there, your distillate is gonna be around thirty-five percent ABV. I mean, we're approaching whiskey levels of proof here. Um, now generally whiskey is eighty proof, you know, eighty to ninety-five hundred proof. Um, but you can get pretty damn close. Now, yeah, you, I mean, you're well within the range of like a brandy or a cordial. 100%. Yeah, and this is, I mean, a brandy is literally distilled from apple cider, essentially. It's distilled from a hard apple cider. 
Um, Applejack and I, I feel like Applejack is like your rough and tumble, the rough and tumble cousin of Brandy. Yeah, basically, it's like the, you know, the the old West prospector of Brandy that the family doesn't really talk about. Yeah. Um, so there are some health risks, and that's why I wanted to kind of highlight them here. Uh, the health risk is that um, you're not getting rid of all of the things that you would get rid of in a normal, um, a normal distillation process. So... The bad thing that keep, that usually gets removed from a distillate during a you know a still distillation uh, is methanol and fusel alcohols. Now, you know the stuff I used to put in my race car back in the day. Exactly, uh, <laughs> jacking or freeze distillation doesn't get rid of them very nicely. So it is a bit rough and tumble here. We're basically talking a moonshine process. Um, it isn't too big of a deal as long as you're not drinking a crazy amount of it um, because all of those things, the, the methanol and the fusel alcohols, are already in your apple cider before you distill it. They're there. Like, they don't just suddenly appear from nothing. But they're watered down in a larger, uh, you know, there's water in it. You're drinking a lot of water with this stuff and your body can kind of get rid of it in a, in a decent way. If you drink it in its concentrated form and you haven't gone through a still distillation, uh, there might still be pretty high levels of methanol and fusel alcohols. So uh, this can actually lead to a unique hangover called the apple palsy, which I had never heard of before. The apple palsy. Yeah, it's an uh, an especially strong hangover with severe headaches caused by the consumption of Applejack. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so they do say that, you know, it, it's probably fine. Um, but, you know, freeze, freeze distillation or jacking is, it, it's rough and tumble, right? Like you're not getting all of the good things out of it. It's not the most scientifically advanced way of distillation. You can make Applejack without jacking. Uh, it's still Applejack. Uh, I'm sure there's a difference between Applejack and Brandy scientifically, and I'd, I'll bring that up in a future Tools of the Trade. Um, but you can do this with wine. Uh, you could take a bottle of wine off the shelf, and you can do this this jacking method and end up with a, a pretty strong fortified wine as well. Um, so uh, happy Tools of the Trade. Don't try this at home. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Yes, legally we are encouraging that at all. Uh, but, you know, it is why you hear old timers talk about, you know, they'll take a sip off of something good, something strong, and go, ooh, you could put that in your lawnmower and cut the grass with it. Well, with your Applejack, you probably could. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you do it right or wrong. I don't really know what would be the <laughs> what way it would go there, but. Yeah, if you get Applejack off the shelf, like Laird's or something like that, it's likely distilled in a still process. It, they're probably not using a, a freeze distillation anymore. Oh, yeah, no, the store-bought stuff it, is all legal. It's like, um, uh, help me here, you know, when you buy, <clears throat> although some states, some free states, you could still get the good Everclear, but most of the time you just get the 150 stuff, and it's like, ah, that's not... Actually, just grain alcohol. 150 is not good enough. Mark Rossetti. 
<laughs> Have you ever had the 190 ever, Claire? Mm-mm. <laughs> the highest I've ever had of a proof li- liquor is 147. I had the 190 Everclear, and I bought two bottles of it uh, the last time I was in Delaware, because you can't get it in Pennsylvania. And I bought two bottles of it when I was in Delaware, and the one I was just using for, you know, just to have, basically. And the other one I had in this upside-down liquor dispenser rack that I still have a couple of, basically. You put the bottles upside-down, and they have a speed pourer rig to a button, and they just preload themselves, and you hit the button, and it dumps out one and a half uh, ounces. And me not really thinking about it, I put the bottle of Everclear in there, and I was using it for flaming shots. Mm-hmm. That's really all you use Everclear for. And after a couple of weeks, maybe you know three weeks, I'd gone through a little bit less than half the bottle because we had a couple parties, we had this, we had that. And I go to get some, and the bottle's completely empty. And I'm like, what the hell? Here, it just ate away the rubber seal <laughs> in the speed pour. And it all leaked out. And then being by the window, the sun hit it, and it just all evaporated. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, and then it's like, oh, yeah, we drink this. Wait a minute. Mm. Oh. But, hey, you know, when I went to Delaware to get that, that was a vacation. Hey. How's that for a segue? a segue. <laughs> God damn it, Mark. I'm fucking on top of it today. We're talking about vacations and we're both a little punch drunk. Uh, Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things. I actually struggled with this one, if you can believe it, because uh, I don't really take vacations, much to the wife's dismay. Um, When I do take time off, uh, it's not all that often, and I usually just stay home, or I go racing most of the, used to go racing most of the time, or, you know, recently we went to a, a show, but we talked about that, or I go and see you guys, but we talked about all that during our conventions uh, episode. So I had to come up with some of the places that I actually do go, and we will talk about how you load the camper for a race a little bit, but I don't have anywhere near the novella you have written in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yours was pretty long. I mean, I guess. But then again, like, Philly, you have Philly. Philly's just a day trip for me. Oh, yeah, no. All of these are, aside from Boston, uh, all of these are flights. I've done Boston in a day trip, too. I've gone up and gone back on the same day. I don't recommend it. Yeah, I didn't drive to Philly. Nine hours in a car is not fun. I've done it before, but it's not fun. Zero out of ten. I've right. driven to Disney World. I mean, I wasn't driving, but I've been with people and driven to Disney World from Pennsylvania. Fair. So you want to start us off? I guess. Uh, we could start off, and we could talk about, you know, and some of this we covered with the old man with the drag racing and whiskey uh, episode. Which, weirdly enough, is actually number three all-time downloads. <laughs> of course um, it is. <laughs> next time I see him, I'm going to have to let him know he's... Uh, Invited he's become, back? Yeah, I agree. Well, maybe that, but he's become viral, if nothing else. <laughs> uh, and so some of this, you know, basically when you're going to a, a race or even, you know, a show like we did for Carlisle, you need a few things... Um, you need the car and, you know, the different stuff there and how to clean it and everything. Listen to last week's episode. We talked about all that. We're not going to talk about the car. 
but then you have your trailer, or you sometimes hear it called the hauler, and you hear it called the rig. Uh, and then unless you're at the really, really tippy-top echelons, uh, you know, basically if you're racing in a series, it's on TV. Uh, you'll be staying in a hotel. Very rarely have I ever stayed in a hotel when I've raced. I've done it a few times, very rarely. Nine times out of ten, you're staying in a camper. <laughs> it's just the way it works. Sometimes you're sleeping in the back of the race trailer. It's just the way it works. <clears throat> so in your trailer, uh, besides the car, you need your spare parts, however many you're going to bring to the race. You know, you bring in whole gearboxes, you bring in engines, you bring in, you know, we used to have a row of fuel pumps hanging up. Uh, different belts. We have a jug of bolts. They're not rusty, but they're there just in case. Uh, spare steering wheel. That was always a thing because you never don't know. Sometimes you just want to change it out. You don't get comfortable. You don't, you know, X, Y, and Z. Fuses out the ass because one of the first times, well, it was maybe only the third year I was racing, but it was the first, I think it actually was the very first time we took the Nova out when we had our Nova we almost missed first round of eliminations because of a 15 amp fuse. And just for whatever reason, we didn't have any. We, it's like, oh, we're just going to take this car out. We're basically just going to go to this race and use it as a test session. Whatever we do, we do. It was running well. We qualified, went into eliminations, blew a fuse, had to go begging trailer to trailer just to get a fuse. And I was not happy. <laughs> I cussed out everybody on the team that day in particular. And the boys still teased me about this years later because I came up with the line, we have a multi-million dollar fucking operation here and we were got brought down by a goddamn five cent fuse. <laughs> <laughs> so from then on, the old man literally kept boxes of fuses in the trailer, mostly just to be a troll because it was one less thing I couldn't bitch about. That does sound like the old man. Yeah. So, you know, spare parts. And, you know, and as you go through, you'll see what wears more and what doesn't in X, Y, and Z. You also need to bring your fuel. I mean, you could buy fuel at the racetrack. Most tracks sell it. It's You're going to pay a premium because track owners got to make money. It's just the way it is. They're not doing it as a public service. Racing fuel is ungodly expensive to begin with, plus to have it trucked in, plus to have the pumps on site, et cetera, et cetera. You're going to pay a little bit for the convenience, or you can just bring it with you. So you're always carrying jugs of fuel everywhere. Stuff we used to ran smell like Pez, C16. It was good stuff. It was like a bluish purple color. Please tell me you never tried it. No, no, no. But it was funny. My boy Joe, shout out Hollywood if you're listening. I don't know why you would be. My boy Joe was the one who coined the phrase, it smells like Pez. But it does. Once he said that, it was like, oh, it does smell like Pez. Um, That's but the one I wouldn't want anyone ever to tell me that. <laughs> what, that it smells like Pez? Yeah, that would be too much of a temptation. <laughs> And so, you know, we have, we used to buy them and in, in, they called them pails. They were five gallon pails. And there's just these little metal cans that they had a pour spout built into them that worked, not like the Buchanan's I'm drinking today. <laughs> uh, but you'd pop out the little pour spout and then you'd put it in the tank. And one of his jobs, he was on my crew for years. One of his jobs was he used to always refuel and he would record how much fuel we used every run and yada, yada, yada. And so he came up with the, the saying, it, it, it smells like Pez. But then he goes, you know, it's thank God we're, we're a couple guys. And, you know, Hollywood is not sexist. He's not. He's, you know, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And I just kind of looked at him and said, yeah, why is that, Hollywood? And he goes, look at all these labels on the back of it about how you shouldn't go anywhere near it if you're pregnant. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. 
yeah, we should probably keep this away from anybody singing about having kids. So yeah, just <laughs> give me the can. I'll put it away. Don't worry about it. Woof. But I mean, it was, we were paying our price. We, we actually got a little bit of a discount from VP. Uh, we were paying fourteen seventy five a gallon back then. Wow. So I imagine it's up over $20 a gallon now. But you'll have your fuel. Good shit. And then also you'll bring your oil, your lubricants. Usually you say your fluids. You'll bring your oil. Um, you can't run uh, antifreeze, so you run water. You always got to bring extra water. All the water you can get pretty much anywhere. Uh, rear end oil, transmission fluid, axle grease, et cetera, et cetera. And then tools. You got to have a whole set of tools. You basically got to have a mobile fucking workshop. We had everything from, you know, sockets and vice grips and, you know, wrenches to we had a drill press and uh, a bench grinder and everything in there, compressor, air jacks, battery chargers, multiple generators, you name it. You got to have it all. And we were small time. You would see what some of the bigger guys had. Like we said, the car, we talked about that last week, and we talked about that in the drag racing and whiskey episode. So go back through the back catalog. Listen. Then you have your camper, and the camper is kind of an oxymoron because you need it to be really comfortable, but at the same time, if you're doing it right, you're not going to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> so, you know, you have to, and you didn't make the trip. You didn't get to stay in the camper with everybody else, did you? Get, yes. <laughs> you weren't on that Team Leroy trip. I was not. I, I was very early days in Team Leroy for that trip. Yeah, Dave and Iggy were in the uh, the couch that turns into a bed that has an air mattress. Lou and I were in the master bed, uh, which goes well with the Jack in it theme this week. <laughs> uh, Bernie was in a sleeping bag in front of the stove. And AJ, who, God love him, imbibed a little bit that weekend. AJ usually does not let go. Uh, he usually babysits all of us, but... He, he was in his element. He was one with nature. And after he came back from his run, where nobody knew where he went, uh, he was under the table. Now, keep in mind, the, the kitchen table turned into a bed. You could lower the table and put the, the two couch cushions on either side. You could make it into a bed. He instead decided to curl up under it in the fetal position, hugging the central post of the table. That sounds <laughs> so like AJ. <laughs> so, and we were all afraid to wake him because we weren't sure if he was going to be alive. But God love them. But so you want your camper to be comfortable. You want it to be able to sleep multiple people because ideally you're going to have crew. It also needs to have a toilet because, you know, all these tracks have facilities, but if it's a bigger race, it's going to be crowded. And at the very least for number twos, you want to have your own potty. Uh, Likewise, if you have any females with you, they might not want to use a porta potty and you can't blame them. Mm. So you got to have your own bathroom. You got to have your own shower. If you're a big guy like me and you sweat, uh, you know, and we talked about it a little bit in the racing episode. It it goes up over 140 degrees in the car. You're wearing Nomex. It gets very hot. You're going to need to shower just so people can tolerate you. But sometimes you're going on just cool down between rounds, between qualifying, between the race, etc. Just jump in the shower, throw the cold water on. So likewise, your camper needs to have a big water capacity because most tracks don't have hookups. It's not like a campground. You can't just go and plug into a water hose, plug into a uh, electrical outlet. You gotta have a generator running and you gotta have big tanks built into your camper. Likewise, you gotta have your propane filled up. And now a lot of campers have built-in grills, that's one thing. But interestingly enough, and I don't know if you know this, DJ, 
you can run most campers' refrigerators off of propane. Ooh, interesting. Yes, and it gets very cold, and it also uh, saves some strain on your generator. So if it's a hot day like today and you're racing, you can have the air conditioning on, and you can have the refrigerator on, and you're not just overloading your generator. So you got to have your propane filled. Multiple tanks, ideally. We already talked about your generator. Got to run, you know, got to have your generator. We used to run two, one for the camper, one for the race car, the trailer, the tools and whatnot. They need fuel. Both of them have five-gallon tanks. You got to keep them filled. Uh, The, you know, range depends. The smaller one that we use to run the camper, five gallons got you about 14 hours, 14 and a half hours if you ran it straight through. So, you know, 10 gallons is a day and a bit. Uh, but the camper also has a battery. Make sure the battery's charged before you go. You can run some stuff off that if the battery isn't or the generator isn't hooked up. Got to have snacks, man. You know, food. You're going to be eating one or two meals at the concession stand, but you got to have stuff to munch on between rounds, stuff to eat in the trailer, stuff to eat when you're thrashing. You're going to have a uh, the camper has a kitchen cook. You know, usually in the morning, especially on Sunday, I would make steak and eggs. That was my big. Um, pre-race meal i'd make it for everybody in the while they were working on the car come back out you know everybody can have a little steak everybody can have a little eggs and we get the car ready again Uh, make your coffee different things like that and then for at night because eventually you're going to get done and usually if you're having a few after the the race you don't want to quite go to bed get your tv set up get your radio set up get your entertainment set up and this isn't just for morale Pretty much every track, the PA system is also broadcast on the radio. You dial it in. You have speakers, outside speakers in the camper. You have speakers inside the trailer. You can listen to the announcements. You can know what's going on. So it's just, it pays to have it. I mean, it's expensive. It is what it is. I've done races sleeping in the trailer. I've done races sleeping in a tent. It's just better to have a camper if you can do it. I mean, if you're going to go, go all the way. Yeah, fair. So that's what probably 90% of my quote unquote vacations have been in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what about you, buddy? Yeah, I figure I can go with one. Uh, so I picked some places I have been and I might actually siphon the last one off to its own topic. I don't know that I can cover Disney within the time we have left. I mean, we know you love Disney. Yeah. Uh, so first I wanted to cover DC. Uh, so I actually, (laughs) the the district, not the failing comic company. Uh, I mean, we could talk about DC. Uh, so here's, we have Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I went to DC twice. Um, and actually, no, I've been to DC three times. I've been to DC three times and none of them were specifically for the things that people go to DC for. All three of them were tattoo trips for me. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so I got to kind of see a different side of DC cause I got to stay with a friend who went, lived there and went to the American college. Uh, and he showed me around and gave me a tour. But basically the first day I was ever in D.C., he's like, here's how to get on the Metro. Good luck. I'll see you tonight for dinner. And I was like, (laughs) okay. Uh, And so I I have, like, some tips. Um, And my tips are, uh, if at all possible, fly into the Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport. Uh, There are two. I think the other one might be Dulles. Um, 
I don't remember exactly, but ignore the other one. And if you can, fly into the Ronald Reagan because the Ronald Reagan is sitting on top of a metro stop. And that makes it really easy to get around D.C. Uh, And in my humble opinion, I think D.C. has one of the better metro um, subway systems. Uh, It's relatively clean to some of the others, like, say, Boston. Uh, And... It, it it's very easy to navigate. Uh, it's not quite as convoluted. They didn't keep tacking onto it like Boston does. Uh, it, it's actually planned. Well, uh, I mean, Boston, they were tacking onto the city itself. It's, so it's, it's I mean, they're still tacking onto it, let's be honest. Uh, so that's probably my first big tip. If you can fly into Ronald Reagan, do. Uh, and then my second tip is don't stay in D.C., uh, there is a small city, large city, I don't really know what you would call it, uh, right outside of D.C. called Bethesda, Maryland. And I highly recommend hanging out You've in Bethesda. you played too much Fallout. Uh, I, I do love Fallout, but um, Bethesda, uh, and specifically the Hyatt Regency uh, Bethesda, uh, is a really great place to stay. It's got uh, a really nice restaurant. Uh, right underneath it where you can get like breakfast and and lunch and stuff. You you could even stay for dinner if you want. But the real advantage is that the Hyatt Regency is also sitting right on top of a metro stop. There's a recurring theme here. Uh, So I don't, I don't rent a car uh, when I go to big cities. Uh, I don't, I don't really like driving in foreign cities to me. Uh, So I, I barely will drive in Boston at this point. Um, just because I get really anxious on the road and it's not a fun place for me. So, um, definitely do public transit as much as possible in DC. Uh, if you are going to go for museums and you don't really care about seeing how pretty the city can be outdoors, go in the winter. Uh, it's fucking cold and, uh, there aren't a lot of trees to block the wind. So dress warmly. Uh, but it's like the best time to go to the museums because it's not, it's like locals. There aren't a ton of school trips. I, I always went in January, uh, and that was like a good time to go cause you avoided the Christmas crowds, uh, and everything was just kind of dead in the national mall. Um, I mean, I got the, uh, the museum of natural history to myself one day and got to wander about without anybody running around me. It was really, really cool. Uh, so I definitely recommend going in the off-season. They do have a Cherry Blossom Festival festival in the spring. Literally everybody goes for the Cherry Blossom Festival. You won't enjoy yourself nearly as much. Um, if you decide you do want to go and get a tattoo in D.C., uh, you should definitely check out uh, my boy Steve, uh, he is at, he's running his own shop now called Stone the Crow Tattoo. Uh, and the old shop where I used to see him is the Bethesda Tattooed Company. They both have fantastic artists uh, and they're in Bethesda, so highly recommend it. Um, I did, when I first went to D.C., it was the first trip I ever made by myself when I wasn't living with my parents. Like, I... I'd, moved out of my parents' house like six months before. Uh, And 
I did not realize that the National Mall was not actually a shopping mall. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for those of you who are also stupid, um, I recommend that you know that the National Mall is all of the museums and monuments and things like that. Uh, Every time I go, I trek it to the Lincoln Memorial. That is my favorite thing to see in D.C. Everybody's got their favorite spot after they've been to D.C. a few times. That's mine. So I highly recommend the Lincoln Memorial. This is where I laugh at you and say you're such a tourist. (laughs) No, I I love D.C. I've been to D.C. probably... 10 or 12 times, mostly for work. Although I did actually take two weeks of classes uh, there in between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, which we'll talk about that on an episode one day, some of the wild shit we got up to then. Um, It's interesting. I'm surprised you're so big on the subway. I just walk everywhere in D.C. Uh, Because it is a grid system, and you can just, you know, find your way, uh, even without GPS. Um. and I slightly disagree with TJ. I stay in town all the time when I stay. Um, either stay in Georgetown itself, or the last couple of times I've spent a little bit more money and I've stayed on Embassy Row. Mm. Uh, and you can pretty much go wherever you want to go. But otherwise, I don't disagree with him. DC is great. If you're driving, avoid the Beltway at all costs. The last couple of times I've actually gone down and around and into Virginia and come up from the south just to avoid the beltway as much as humanly possible because <laughs> it sucks. It does. Driving in DC itself isn't that bad, but getting like the sub roads and everything around it, that sucks. Mm. It's when they stopped planning it, that it's get hard to drive. <laughs> well, and I mean, I don't know if they still do this. I assume they do, but I know for a while sections of the beltway would be one direction, one time of the day, and then another direction, the other time of the day. <laughs> And they're like six lanes on each fucking side. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy. So I, I don't recommend the Beltway, but uh, if you, you know, plan, if, you, if you're driving and you leave early enough and you have enough time, you can get into D.C. without driving on the Beltway. It's not hard. It just takes a little longer. And honestly, with traffic, it's probably six hole and half a dozen of the other. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, you'll notice a theme when I talk about my favorite vacation spots because I tend to do a very narrow band of what what other people generally enjoy. No, DC's good. Yeah, I love um, DC. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't like DC. Uh, what else you got? This one's kind of a cop out because it is only like two hours away, but it is a place the wife and I go semi regularly, and we usually just spend a weekend, and that's uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And there's a lot more to do than just the amusement park. We'll, we'll talk about that. The amusement park is actually probably like the lamest thing there. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Too cool uh, for Hershey Park. No, Hershey Park is great. Don't get me wrong. I go to Hershey Park a lot, but it's like fifth on the list when we go there. <laughs> so um, if you're going to go, and especially if you've never gone before, stay at the Hotel Hershey. It's this giant, uh, you know, 19th century, it was a house. <laughs> it was, you know, one, one of Milton Hershey's houses that they've turned into a bed and breakfast style thing. Um, it's just gorgeous. All the rooms are period correct. They're decorated. There's very little that's modern. 
Um, you could spring for having meal packages. I mean, breakfast is, is pretty much included because it's a and b but you could spring to have dinner in one of the big dining rooms and things like that. And it's not that much more than any of the other decent hotels. I mean, if you're just going to go and stay at like the Super 8 that's right by Chocolate World, yeah, okay, you're going to pay a lot more money. But if you're going to get any decent hotel, you're only going to drop another 75 to $80 a night. It's not that big a difference. <clears throat> and, you know, it's part hotel, part museum. The people there are uh, very knowledgeable. You learn a lot. And you get great views of the city, especially at night. There's all these verandas and balconies and everything. And just, it's the balls. <clears throat> but, I mean, if you want to go, like, next August, book now. Like, they're sold out all the time. That's the gimmick with them. Uh, when you're there, go to the AACA Museum. For those of you who don't know, the AACA Museum is the uh, Antique Automobile Club of America. And they have their National Museum in Hershey, Pennsylvania. All kinds of wild cars. They do rotating exhibits. They have literal barns of cars. They have a Tucker exhibit. DJ, are you familiar at all with the Tucker I have no idea what a Tucker is. <laughs> we'll have to talk about this in a future episode, but it was a car that was attempted to uh, be made post-war. And, the, you know, the designer's last name was Tucker. That's where it came from. And they made less than 50 of them before the big three ended up shutting them down. And so there's, I believe they produce 49. And the Hershey Museum has three of them. Just to put that in perspective. And they have a bunch of engines and, um, you know, they have documentaries and things playing. So you can learn all about the Tucker. They do every year, and I went to it one year on one of our trips to Hershey. They do a Model T school where they actually take a couple genuine bone stock Model Ts from the 1910s out of their collection. And they let the public drive them. And you have class in the morning and learn all about them because they're, Nowhere near what a car is like today, let me tell you. And uh, then in the afternoon, they have a, a course set up, and you drive these, and it's awesome. Uh, three pedals, none of which are the accelerator, so you'll have this. <laughs> and the old guy instructors are hysterical. <clears throat> uh, then you have the amusement park, and the amusement park's fine. Um, I think the wooden roller coasters are better uh, the Wildcat's actually closing. It's going to close Labor Day, which is sad. I like the Wildcat. That's the one that has the big cyclone you know, banked corner that just keeps going and going and going, and you pull about three Gs laterally. That's going to close. <clears throat> uh, but they have a lot of roller coasters. They have a lot of uh, water. Sec they have a whole water park section, which I'm not really that big into. Uh you know, haunted houses, the whole nine yards. And they have a lot of kitty stuff too. They have characters dressed up as Hershey bars and whatnot. So it's fine. It's a little bit expensive, um, but it's not like a lot of the smaller parks around here where you don't have to like buy tickets to ride the rides or whatever. Once you pay to get in and you can do pretty much anything there. Hmm. But the best thing is when you go to Chocolate World. Chocolate World is by the park, but it's separate from the park. And it is part factory tour. They, they have a ride, but it's basically like a tour of the factory, which is actually across the street. And you get to see how the chocolate is made and yada, yada, yada. And then you get free samples. 
It is part outlet. Because again, the factory, the main factory is right across the street. So you can go and you could buy candy by the case for what? dirt cheap. That's amazing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The wife and I always have to bring home a case of Reese's Cups that we just leave in the freezer. Um, they have the huge, like the big things you see, like the five-pound Hershey bars. Uh, they had a five-pound peppermint patty the last time we went. Uh, they do a three-pound solid Hershey's kiss that you could literally beat a man to death. Shit like that. So you have to go there. And if you get lucky, and I know this for a fact because the wife and I got picked the last time we went, you get pulled into a focus group. And, um, I mean, we're, we signed NDAs, but I don't think anybody's listening. And this was like 10 years ago. So, no, it was, well, it was like eight years ago. Uh, they took us in, and she got some kind of prototype Mounds bar, which was good because I hate coconut. But they gave me sour Twizzlers, because Hershey owns Twizzlers. And I tried them, and they were fine. And the lady's like, oh, well, were they too sour or this? I said, these weren't sour at all. And she goes, oh, well, then we'll give you these. And she pulls out, like, these other prototype candies. <laughs> and they were sour. And then you have to fill in this questionnaire, and they record you, and you have to give them your feedback. And they never made the sour Twizzlers. It must have been the only ones that liked them. Uh, but that's really good. They also have, and this, unfortunately, everything else that we talked about is free, aside from if you go to the outlet and you buy the candy. But everything in Chocolate World, for the most part, is free. But Annie and I paid the money. We went and uh, they have what they call chocolate school, where basically they give you, like, this is dark chocolate, this is milk chocolate, this is this, and they, like, teach you how to taste and, you know, what the difference is and what it pairs well with. And that's a lot of fun. And then you can also go and make your own Hershey bar, which is just kind of lame because it's just basically a big Hershey bar. You could put like M&Ms and shit in, but they don't call them M&Ms because I don't own M&Ms. <laughs> um, but no, definitely. If you can only do one thing in Hershey, do Chocolate World. I'm telling you. And Chocolate World is not the theme park. No, it's next to the theme park. You can see the theme park from Chocolate World, but you don't have to buy a ticket to go to Chocolate World. So, yeah, that's that's always number one on my list. Actually, we had to go to Hershey for work. There was There's a small museum. Uh, well, there's a bunch of museums in Hershey itself, but we were going to a small museum in Grantville, which Grantville is kind of like Bethesda is to D.C. <clears throat> and I had an intern with me, and I said, hey, while well, we're here, we're, we're going to Chocolate World. And she's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, come on, we're going to Chocolate World. We're down here. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, what's your next one? All right, my next one's Boston. Uh, All right, I had a cop-out. You have a cop-out. This works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boston, Boston's a cop-out because this is, I mean, it's the local big city. I feel like everybody's got the local big city, and I feel like you can make that in all capital letters. So Boston's an easy hour, hour and a half, depending on where in Boston I, I want to go. Uh, I, so I have some social anxieties, if you haven't figured that out and I try to manage them very carefully. Um, one of the ways to manage them is I don't fucking drive in Boston. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, Boston. I mean, an argument could be made, I'm sure, but I think Boston has some of the worst fucking drivers in the face of the planet. It's just an angry city when you are driving or riding in a car 
otherwise, I, would, I mean, can be pretty decent. <laughs> I would even say it's the driving mean, the drive. I get where you're going, but to me, that isn't even the main thing. You were talking about with the the metro; they just kept adding to it, mm-hmm. and so the streets don't go anywhere. They don't make any sense. One of the times I was actually in D.C., uh, I was with another intern. We were delivering stuff to the National D.A.R. Museum, and we stopped at a bar for dinner, and we got carded because she looked like she was, like, 22. And when the guy saw we had Pennsylvania IDs, he's like, oh, are you finding your way around? Fine. I said, yeah, dude, it's a grid system. It's easy. I said, I lived in Massachusetts for four years. He's like, oh, fuck, then you're fine. Because you can <laughs> drive in Boston, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Exactly. Boston is one of the oldest big metropolitan cities in the United States. And unlike, you know, cities like D.C., New York, you know, well-planned cities that may have burned down and allowed for, you know, (laughs) better planning (laughs) later on, um, Boston wasn't planned. So there's crazy fucking side streets. There's little parts of it that are in grids then are going the right way. And then you end up in weird fucking places like around Faneuil, Faneuil hall. Um, so I don't drive in Boston. My wife has no problem in drive, uh, driving in Boston and I am a much better navigator for Boston traffic than, than she is. So we, 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 we have that trade off. Um, there are a lot of ways of getting into Boston uh, Amtrak and buses are perfectly fine. Uh, if I, the few times I've had to go to Boston for work, I've taken the bus. It's fine. Um, there's usually North station, South station and back bay is where, where you get off. Um, so it all depends on where you need to be. But I tend to know a very narrow portion of Boston and that is generally around the Prudential Center. Um, because that's where, and my Boston is held every year. And, you know, we already talked about that in conventions, but uh, around the Prudential Center is Newbury Street. And Newbury Street is a shopping and restaurant district, basically, all on its own. Uh, it's where the original Newbury Comics is. Um, there's a lot of really great restaurants, a lot of really great like bed and breakfast and hotel-type places. It's a block from the Prudential Center. Um, another weird social anxiety that I have is... Uh, I have a hard time sleeping in big cities because I grew up in like rural suburbia. Like I, I'm used to like the occasional ambulance, but mostly crickets. Um, so living in a city that never goes to sleep and has a lot of honking and sirens and people yelling is not conducive to my sleeping. But um, I've gotten a lot better about it over the years. And I tend to find that smaller hotels tend to be a little bit better. Um, if it feels a little bit more like home, I'm more likely to be a lot more fine. So when I do stay in Boston, uh, I tend to stay at either the, the Saunders at Back Bay, uh, the Newbury Guest House. There's a, there's a few littler hotels around there. They're all fucking expensive. I, I don't know what it is about right around the Prudential Center. It's probably because it's right around the Prudential Center, but everything's like two to $400 a night. So just know what you're getting into. Um, there are ways, uh, also, if you like drive to Boston, there are places where you can park just outside of where driving gets really bad, and you can take the uh, the T, 
which is the metro system in Boston, uh, into the city. Um, the tea's kind of rough if you're not used to it. Uh, I recommend bringing some headphones because some of those old tracks are really loud. Uh, and that's kind of my Boston stuff. Boston, to me, was also like a big field trip thing growing up here in New Hampshire. So uh, if you've never been to Boston and you're not from the area... Walk the Freedom Trail. Go see Faneuil Hall. Go check out the markets around Faneuil Hall. Um, you know, try to book yourself in if, if you've got some time to see the Boston Pops or something at the BSO. Uh, there, there's some really great things in Boston proper. Um, I just never think of going to Boston. I mean, we've got an aquarium. We've got a ton of museums. I just never think of going there on the reg. That's fair. What about you? Any Boston tips? Pax oh, is fun. God. Um, well, you know, this is going to sound obvious and, you know, I'm going to lose what little New England credibility I have for even mentioning it. But we, this actually came up in conversation with a friend of mine this past weekend. So I feel like maybe since he didn't know, maybe other people don't know. Don't go to Cheers. It's not where they filmed the show. <laughs> it's a tourist trap. Um and when I was living up there, which was 15 years ago, the fries were $30 an order then. So just don't stay away from Cheers. Uh, the House of Blues in Boston is a great place to see a concert. Doesn't even matter who the hell's playing. Just go. There's pretty much live music almost every day. It's a cool bar, and you're right across the street from Fenway, so you're in a really historic district. Uh, that's another great place. And just... <laughs> Don't ask how long it takes to get somewhere because you're going to get two answers. <laughs> so true. Never you're going to get asked as a question in New England, period. Bring a fucking GPS. <laughs> well, and it's just, you know, Boston, and I'm trying to phrase this without sounding like an idiot. There, there's an actual name for the statistic, but I can't think of it outside of my head. Boston is the biggest city in America that doesn't have a population, if that makes any sense, because it's actually it's like less than a million people that actually live in Boston. Yeah. It's like 800,000 or 900,000. But from the hours of nine to five, it's like 8 million people. Just everyone commutes. So the traffic will rival Los Angeles any day of the week. So if you're just like, Oh, how long does it take to get there? It's like, well, really it's only 20 minutes. But if you go at any point from six 30 in the morning till 10, or from 3.30 in the afternoon till 7, it's going to be an hour. <laughs> you know, it's just the way Boston is. So uh, th those are my Boston tips. But it's a great city. Yeah. It's fine. It's solidly a <laughs> fine city. There are good things about Boston. If that's your scene. I mean, it's no Concord. I had a I had a, uh, a work conference up by you in Concord, New Hampshire, one weekend. That was that was a lot of fun. Mm. But you could walk everywhere. Boston, I wouldn't. There are definitely parts of Boston I wouldn't walk everywhere. Let me tell you. Uh, All right, what you got? All right, my, so speaking of cities, you can't walk everywhere. My last one, uh, you're gonna roll your eyes, but if you know what you're doing, it's a lot of fun. And that's Atlantic City. Yeah, eyes rolled. Well, Atlantic City gets a bad rap for a lot of reasons, and most of them are justified. Uh, but you don't just have to uh, gamble. I, I don't gamble. And, you know, the wife and I had our honeymoon there. We've gone a couple times. 
If you're going to go, the only place I would recommend staying on the boardwalk is Caesars. But, you know, sometimes people are funny about staying in Caesars. Sometimes it's expensive. It's this or that. So Mm. that's the only place I would stay on the boardwalk. But overall, if I had my pick, if you said you can go anywhere in Harris or anywhere in Atlantic City and stay, I would stay in Harris. It's off the boardwalk. It's in like the northern tip of the city. But it's completely all-inclusive. They have a shopping mall, a real mall, not like the National Mall. A shopping mall inside with outlets and stores and whatever you need. They have numerous bars, uh, most of, not most of which, but about 60% of which are tied into the casino. And if you gamble at all while you're drinking, your drinks are free. Mm -hmm. So what I do is at least one night, I will take just $25 and I will find a video poker machine built into a bar. And I don't care how bad you are at cards, you can make $25 in a video poker machine last long enough to get drunk. (laughs) The last time we went, I had five Manhattans that they were charging $9 a piece for, and they were all comped. (laughs) So they lost money on me. My $25 was up. I finished my drink and said, I'm going back to the hotel. See ya. (laughs) Nice. Uh, It has a big hotel. It's four towers. Each one has a different theme. Um, It's kind of fun. You can actually get smoking rooms and like nice smoking rooms, not like, you know, roadside truck stop motel style smoking rooms. You can get like a suite and actually sit in your room and have a cigar and watch a baseball game, which is nice. They have an indoor mini golf course. They have another mini golf course. It's on the roof of one of the towers. Uh, They have numerous restaurants. The one that I recommend uh, is just called The Steakhouse. Now, this is something you're probably only going to ever go to once, but you have to go to it once. And Annie and I actually went on our honeymoon. DJ, you know, like when you go to a place, sometimes they'll have like the maximum occupancy for the fire department. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the steakhouse, it was 32. <laughs> so it's a small, intimate place. No walk-ins by reservation only. Uh, it's a dress code. You know, you had to, I had to wear a suit, Annie wore a dress. And, Everything is a la carte. So I had a uh, steak. I believe it was a ribeye. Annie got a live lobster out of the tank. I had asparagus. I forget what her side was. And then when you order, they tell you, like, oh, do you want dessert? And we're like, what the fuck? We don't know. We just ordered our food. And they said, no, 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 no. The only desserts we sell are pies. But we bake them while you're eating. So if you want one, you have to order now. Because they're fresh. And we're like, well, okay, what's the menu? So they had a chocolate banana cream pie. So we ordered that. And that was our meal. We, I had two or three cocktails. They had a house whiskey Manhattan variant thing. I think Annie had a glass of wine. She doesn't drink much. Do you want to guess what our bill was? Mm, $300. With the tip, it was $340. Jesus. <laughs> but it was the best steak I ever had in my life. So, uh, and we had three servers. We had a lady when we had two gentlemen. We, anything you wanted, they, they were going to get you. So I recommend going there once. But they have, you know, much more affordable restaurants. They have a buffet. They have a burger place. They had a gelato place. Um, a little breakfast nook. And some of the ones, there's like a little food court downstairs by the casino. Some of them are open 24 hours. So definitely go there. 
Uh, and then the last thing about Harris, the best thing about Harris, if you go into like the hotel part, they have a pool pool, like your standard indoor hotel pool, kids running around screaming, this, that, and the other thing. Then they have what they just call the pool. And this is this huge, I mean, it's massive pool inside of a greenhouse that's open year round. It's 21 plus. So it's just like people at night. It turns into a nightclub, but you don't go there at night. And you can actually rent these cabanas. And the wife and I have done this a couple times. And basically you get a cabana by the pool. So you don't have to worry about trying to get a chair or a towel or this or that. You get access to the pool. You get access to the hot tubs, which are usually an additional charge. And then there's couches in this cabana. There's a TV with cable and whatever. There's a mini fridge filled with snacks. And then there's an iPod dock and you can play whatever the hell you want. But you also get a $150 food and bar credit for the in-pool restaurant. Wow. Which the last time we went had a... uh, uh, entire page of drinks made with 151 Bacardi. <laughs> so, you know, the wife used to be an all NCAA swimmer. She's doing laps in the pool. I'm just getting hammered in this <laughs> cabana. <laughs> and you actually, it works out. I don't know how they do this. They actually like lose money because it was only like with tax, it was only like $120 to book this. And then you got the $150 food and bar credit. And I mean, like you have your own waitress. And so we tipped her and everything, obviously. So it it ended up being a wash, but still it was like, you could just eat and drink all day because the pool's open from like 10 to six and you have the thing the whole time. So definitely do that. Uh, Make a day to go to the boardwalk and the beach. Make sure it's during the day. Don't go at night. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of old school arcades, like, you know, play ski ball, get your tickets and win a prize. They're a lot of fun. You can book fishing things, either uh, beach fishing or you can actually go on a boat and do some quote-unquote deep-sea fishing. That's not really deep-sea fishing, but it's still kind of fun. Uh, there's loads of chain restaurants uh, up and down. Probably one of the most fun is Margaritaville, just because it's not terribly expensive for that style of restaurant. They have really good burgers, and there's a lot of wild cocktails. And they usually have a Jimmy Buffett concert on the TV, so that's nice. Uh, there is the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museums on the boardwalk. That's a lot of fun. Uh, the last time we were there, there was a huge Warner Brothers store. That's kind of fun. Anything DC or, you know, WB, DC, Looney Tunes related, it was all there. And then there's always something going on in the convention center. I mean, I've gone down multiple times for car auctions. There's antiques shows, uh, the Miss America pageant. Uh, the convention center is where it's at. And there's a really good Italian restaurant right behind the new convention center because they moved it off the boardwalk. Well, I was going to say a couple of years ago. It's probably about 15 years ago now. Uh, but there's a really, really good hole-in-the-wall Italian restaurant right behind the new one. So 10 out of 10. I love that. All right, what about you? All right, I'm going to pick one more, and then I think we're going to have to save some more vacation or travel stuff for a future episode. So, All right, fair enough. Well, what are you going to end with? Well, I'm going to end with Philly. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Because I legitimately had a really great time in Philly, and I didn't actually know anything about it going in, so it was kind of a a really great time. We got to go with some locals, uh, some some friends of ours who went to college there. Uh, And I'll just kind of really quickly run through some stuff that I know that I really enjoyed about Philly. So the 
the Philadelphia Museum of Art was really interesting and has the steps that Rocky trained on in the movie Rocky. Uh, if you were stand in front of that museum for longer than 20 minutes, you will see somebody reenacting the Rocky thing, inevitably. Oh, it won't even take 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but at the base of the hotel, a little bit across the street, is my favorite place in Philly, which is the Rodin Museum. Okay. Uh, Rodin is easily one of my favorite classic sculptors slash artists. They've got the thinker sitting out front. Uh, they've got the gates of hell. They, they've got um, uh, Apotheosis, which is a, a really great sculpture. So I, I just really like Rodin. Uh, I think he was a really great sculptor. So if you are a fan of sculpture, um, definitely check out the Rodin Museum. Uh, the last time I went, uh, it was, you know, I went with Holly, Emily, and AJ, and we were so tired when we took a tour of the uh, Philadelphia Museum of Art that AJ and I fell asleep in the middle of the Van Gogh exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> They're really comfortable chairs, and we fell asleep just sitting in them. Uh, there's some really wonderful places to eat. Uh, the other place I would say definitely check out is the the Reading or Reading Terminal Market. Um, that market is like it's been around since like the mid eighteen hundreds, uh, in one form or another, and uh, they have some really crazy good food in there. Um, I I can't overstate like we ate there twice and it was some of the best food I've ever had. Um, the Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, runs some some places in there, including Baylor's Donuts, uh, where I've had some of the best donuts I've ever had. So definitely check that place out. Um, Chinatown is great in Philly. Uh, there's like one place that has really amazing pastries. I don't know what it's called. Um, but I will say that if you don't know this and you grew up with like New England steak and cheese and steak bombs... Uh, be prepared. A Philly <laughs> cheesesteak is made with cheese whiz. Yeah. So, um, you know, and you could just drop the Philly. It's like a cheesesteak, like a real cheesesteak is made with cheese whiz. Uh, it's uh, nothing. That's nothing. No. There is, and I forget which one of it is because there's, there's Pat's and there's Chino's. And they're, I'm going to steal a DJ line here. They're fine. There's nothing wrong with them. If you just want the touristy cheesesteak experience, by all means, go there. Um, but a cheesesteak in Philly is a lot like pizza in New York. Just walk around till you find a place that you want to go into because every place is selling cheesesteaks. Yeah. And they're all really good. But one of the two really touristy places, I think it's Pat's. I don't remember. Uh, just <laughs> you order by just saying with or without. And it's not whiz. You get whiz on everyone, but it's whether you want the onions and the peppers and everything. And the sign says, you just say, with or without. If this is too hard for you, go to the back of the line and someone will help you. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I did. I tried it. I had a big old cheesesteak with cheese whiz. It was fine. It was not what I wanted that day. So, uh, I don't know. It's whatever, man. I'm sure somebody's going to get pissed at hearing this, but I'm not a big fan of cheese whiz on my subs. I mean, it's one of those things. It's not as bad as everybody's first. Like, cause if you don't know about it, your first instinct is just like, what? what? 
it's not as bad as everybody's first instinct is, but at the same time, it's not earth shattering. I mean, like up here in my section of Pennsylvania, there there's a few places that will put cheese whiz on it if you ask for it. But the vast majority of the time, if you order a cheesesteak, you get just melted shredded cheese. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, you know, is it really a cheesesteak? Eh, but it's not, you know, it's not like cheese whiz is a million times better. It's, it's more authentic and it's, I guess it's better in the way that a cheesesteak should be greasy. It should be sloppy. It should be runny. So the cheese whiz helps with that, but it's, you know, it's not earth shattering with it and it's not really disappointing without it. But yeah, when you're there, you, when you're in Philly, you got to try it. See, it's such a weird thing to me because I'm used to like Boston traditions, which have been around since like the 1600s. Cheese Whiz did not debut until 1953. That is not a tradition. That is nothing. Um, sadly though, you know, talk about traditions. One of the ones that COVID killed, and I'm very upset about this, uh, was the city tavern in Philadelphia. If you went to old town, which old town is the best part of uh, Philadelphia, which it, you know, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's the oldest part of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And they had the city tavern, which was the oldest bar in Philadelphia. And it was still laid out. Like it was the late 1700s. All the servers and everything were dressed like it was the late 1700s and they had colonial era recipes. Uh, last time I went, they actually had like a rabbit stew, uh, which was what I had, which was very good. Uh, but unfortunately, COVID killed that. The city, mar uh, the city tavern is closed and I'm very upset about that. I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm still reading about cheese whiz. <laughs> Take us out. rabbit stew. Release me from this hell. Oh, Lord. Next week, we're going to talk all about fancy pants, uh, you know, food creations. No. Uh, but thank you for listening. This has been, uh, what the hell was this? This was Vacations in Whiskey. What rambling thing? Cities in Whiskey. No, this is Vacations in Whiskey. Um, we do thank you for listening to this and listening to every episode this is what the, the 13th episode of season five. So season season five is rapidly coming to a close. Uh, then we're going to have a couple trailers. Although I, I don't know if we're going to go too heavy on the trailers at first, we might do a couple, but then we're probably going to have to break in for a special because we're rapidly approaching a hundred episodes. It's true. I, we're going to have to get some stuff in the can, uh, so that we can cover something while I'm out. We haven't figured out yeah. that yet. So, you know, this season is going to end in, you know, what, two weeks, and then we're going to do uh, a couple trailers, probably come back for the 100th episode special, maybe a trailer or two more. And then, yeah, like DJ said, we'll probably just record a bunch of shit and release it at some type of interval. Um, season six might not be a full season, but it's going to happen. We're not going away anytime soon, so don't fret. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll figure something out. All, all roads lead back to the recording studio. Uh, and, you know, where do you want to listen to us? You can listen to us anywhere you want. When you're on vacation, you can listen to us. When you're in a plane, when you're uh, in the subway, if you're the navigator, you know, driving through Boston, you can have your earbuds in. We're on Spotify. We're on Google, Apple. Oh, God, where else? Amazon. As uh, Mike put it on Fireside this week, anything that has the word pod in it, chances are we're on. So if there's an app and it has the word pod in it, we're on there. Yeah, including Keurigs. 
yes. <laughs> you know, you laugh, but they have refrigerators now that have the internet, and you can get, like, news and weather and shit on them. Cure eggs will be next. <laughs> <laughs> we come at you every Friday, 8 a.m. sharp. Uh, so you can listen to us when you're having your coffee. I don't really recommend it. I'm pretty intense and, you know, cause we record late at night and I'm a night owl. So I wouldn't want to listen to myself in the morning, but if you're into that, you can Uh big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for intro and outro music. We love him. Uh, we're going to send you to a SoundCloud. We're going to send you to his Amazon page. Uh, big shout out, big shout out to Brian Eichbert too. We talked about him earlier. You know, the robots are coming for you, Brian. So be careful. <laughs> Uh, what are we doing next week? I picked this vacations one. You got to pick one. What the, what the fuck are we doing? Well, we only got two episodes left. It's true. And I potentially have a guest that we could line up for our last episode. Cool. But I'm thinking because we haven't done one this season, we're going to have to crack a console war. Ooh. All right. All right. We're, what are you thinking? Uh, I'm thinking NES versus the Atari 2600. I think this would work because you are our resident Nintendo stan, and I am the grumpy old man who will tell you how much better everything was back in the day. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to have to take the NES because I don't even know if I've ever seen an Atari 2600 in person. Yes, you have. I have one on my entertainment center. You've been over my house. doesn't mean I looked at it. Well, we'll have photos of it, um, and this will actually be good, too, because we can go, uh, we usually do a little bit of history near the end of the, the year, and I could take us on a little bit of a tangent, and we could talk about the great video game crash, too. Mm. So, I love this, so tune in next week. We're going to do the great console wars, the original great console wars, the Atari 2600 versus the Nintendo Entertainment System. I mean, we all know who won. Well, we all know who won, but it also didn't help because, and you know, I, I haven't prepared my notes, obviously, because we just picked this. But <laughs> off the top of my head, I believe at one point Atari had three different systems out trying to compete with the NES. The 2600 was still out. The 5200 was out. And then they had the 7800. Damn. <laughs> so I believe at one point in time, there were three different Ataris some of which were backwards compatible, some of which weren't. It just, we'll get into it. <laughs> It'll be fun. It, it's like the, uh, what, what was that? Was it Sega that just ha- kept adding shit onto itself? Oh, yeah, yeah. You had the Genesis, then you had the 32X, then you had the CD, um, and then, you know, there was games that were the, and you actually could buy, and everybody forgets about this one, too, but they actually made a insert for the Genesis that let you uh, play the old Sega Master System games. So you could have the Master System insert inside the Genesis, put a 32X on top of it, and then have the Sega CD on the side. And then you could play Genesis games, you could play Master System games, you could play 32X games, you could play Sega CD games. And then there was a very small group. I want to say there was it was single digits. I think we talked about this in that console war episode. But there was a very small group of games that required both the 32X and the Sega CD. <laughs> I'm so sorry I got them started again, folks. <laughs> That's a great episode. You should go back and listen to that episode. But hey, yeah, next week, NES, Atari. I want to go start writing my notes. So hey, until then, folks, salute. Cheers. Cheers.